0: morning. Last week we started a new series called The Miracles of Jesus, and we're going to continue with that series over the next uh, few weeks. But John chapter 4 will be in verses 43 through 54 here in just a few minutes, and I've entitled today's message, Authentic Faith. I just want to remind you that miracles in scripture, they're either called mighty works or they're called signs or they're called signs and wonders. And a miracle is defined as an event which God makes an exception to the natural order of things or God supersedes natural laws. It's something that can't be explained. It's something that that goes beyond what we know. And Jesus just did not do a miracle to simply display his power. The miracles that Jesus performed had a far greater significance and meaning. Jesus did miracles to give insight into his purpose and his person. Jesus did miracles to reveal who he was and to convey the message he came to proclaim. And in the Gospels, there are around 36 recorded miracles of Jesus. As I mentioned last week, there are four different types of miracles. There's the miracles of of healing, the miracles of exorcisms, the miracles of resurrections, and the miracles over control over nature. And last week, we looked at Jesus' first miracle which was Jesus having control over nature by turning water into wine at the wedding at Cana. And today we're going to unpack the miracle of Jesus healing the royal official's son. And to give some context to this miracle, Jesus had just finished a few incredible days with the Samaritans. Earlier in John chapter 4, it was Jesus encountered the woman at the well in Samaria in the village of Sychar. And because of his encounter with that woman, John four forty two says, Many came to believe that Jesus was the Savior of the world. And this was a miracle in of itself, especially since the Jews despised Samaritans. And they would do anything to avoid Samaria, but not Jesus. Jesus to, went to Galilee. He went right through Samaria. He didn't go around it. And then he stopped at a well, and not only did Jesus have an encounter with the Samaritan at the well, Jesus had an encounter with a Samaritan woman. And for Jesus to have a conversation with a woman in public would have made him ceremonially unclean. But because of his conversation with this woman, she realized that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the Son of God, and she went and told the people in Zechar what happened. And as a result, many believed in Jesus and asked Jesus to stay with them. And many more believed Jesus because of what he said. And then we come to John chapter 4, verses 43 and through 45. It says this, after two days he left there for Galilee, meaning leaving Samaria. Jesus Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When they entered Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him because they had seen everything he did in Jerusalem during the festival, for they also had gone to the festival. So after two days of effective ministry in Samaria in the village of Saqqar, Jesus and his disciples headed north to Galilee, and the statement is recorded in verse 44 occurs in the other Gospels when Jesus visits Nazareth. Look at what he said. He said, a prophet has no honor in his own country. John mentioned this earlier in John one eleven, when he said, he, meaning Jesus, came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. What is ironic is after the Samaritans received Jesus and believed in Jesus, his own people were going to reject him. Jesus knew he would not be honored in his own country. He knew they would not receive him. He knew this was part of God's plan. That this rejection by his own people would lead to his crucifixion. Jesus was not surprised by the rejection that he was going to face. In fact, he was going—he was expecting it. But then we come to verse 45 and it says, when they entered Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. So if they were rejecting him, why would they welcome him? If you turn over to John chapter 2 verses 23 to 25 it tells us why they welcomed him. It says while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival many trusted in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. Jesus however would not entrust himself to them since he knew them all and because he did not need anyone to testify about man for he knew for he himself knew what was in man. You see, not too long ago, many of the Jews were at the feast of the Passover and many of the Jews were believing in Jesus because they saw the signs and the miracles that he did. They saw that he had cleansed the temple. And Jesus said that he was not entrusting himself to them because he saw that their faith was shallow. He knew they were receiving him without really believing in him. They were welcoming Jesus because of what he could do. Unlike the Samaritans who welcomed Jesus because of who he was. You see, we're probably familiar with the term foxhole conversions. It comes from someone who's in a battle and and they're fearing for their lives and there's a really good chance of them dying on the battlefield. In the moment of desperation, they cry out to God, God, if you get me out of here, I will do whatever you say. I will follow you the rest of my life. You see that statement in the foxhole in that moment is not the real test of a man's faith as his faith is not defined by how passionate he is crying out to God in the heat of the battle the real test of this man's faith in that foxhole is how passionate he is in living for God after the battle is over you see does he keep his promise did he really mean what he said does he give his life to Christ and follow him or does he act like he never said it And the only reason he called out to God was because of the situation he was in, hoping God would help. And this applies to anyone who has cried out to God in a crisis. Maybe you or a loved one have faced a crisis, are facing a a serious crisis, and you cried out to God and promised if He healed you or provided for you, you would follow Him. You know what? There's nothing wrong with crying out to God. In fact, that's what we're supposed to do and that's what God wants us to do. However, God does not want us to come to him just because of what he can do. He wants us to come to him in faith and trust him because of who he is and what he has done. He wants us to come to him because of the cross. You see, Jesus is worthier of our trust because of who he is, because he's the savior of the world, not just because what he can do and the contrast between the response of the Samaritans to Jesus and the response of the Galileans to Jesus teaches us what authentic faith looks like. And as we are going to see today, Jesus uses a miracle, the miracle of healing a royal official's son who is near death from a distance to give us a clear picture of what authentic faith is and what authentic faith is not. And as we go through this passage this morning, I want you to examine your faith. And I want you to see if your faith is authentic. Is your faith real? Is your faith genuine? And is your faith based on what Jesus can do? Is your faith based on who Jesus is? Let's read the rest of this passage starting in verse 46 to 54 where we see the miracle that Jesus performed in healing the official son. It says then he went to Cana of Galilee where he had turned water into wine. There was a certain royal official whose son was ill at Capernaum. And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and pleaded with him to come down and heal his son for he was about to die. Jesus told him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Sir, the official said to him, come down before my boy dies. Go, Jesus, told him, your son will live. The man believed what Jesus said to him and departed. While he was still going down, his slaves met him, saying that his boy was alive. He asked him at what time he got better. Yesterday at seven in the morning, the fever left him, they answered. The father realized this was the very hour at which Jesus had told him, your son will live. Then he himself believed, along with this whole household, This, therefore, was the second sign Jesus performed after he came from Judea to Galilee. The first thing I want to share with you this morning is that authentic authentic faith is not being curious about Jesus, but it's about being committed to Jesus. In verse 46, we see Jesus once again came to Cana in Galilee. And this is the same place where he performed his first miracle that we looked at last week at the wedding Of Cana in John chapter 2. Remember the wedding feast was running out of wine. This was an embarrassing situation that would tarnish the groom's reputation as well as his family's. And Jesus was called upon by his mother Mary to save the day. And Jesus turned the water that was drawn from the well into wine. And this was not just about saving a wedding and keeping the groom from being humiliated. This was symbolic of indicating that the old covenant of the law was fulfilled and that the new covenant of grace was here in the person of Jesus. And the wine symbolized the cleansing blood of Jesus and the blessings of the new covenant. And the message of this miracle was that Jesus only has the power to transform water into wine. But more incredibly and more importantly, he has the power to transform lives. And it was a foreshadowing of the messianic banquet, the marriage supper of the Lamb that was to come. Now Jesus returns to Cana from Judea via Samaria and there's another need that arises in Cana. And whereas the first the scene of the first sign was a scene of joy, this was a scene of desperation, this was a scene of sickness and possible death. And through these two situations and these two miracles we see the spectrum of life. We see that life is filled with times of desperation. And life is also filled with times of jubilation. And I'm sure we've all experienced times of happiness. And I'm sure we've all experienced times of sadness. And what Jesus wants us to understand that regardless of what time we are in, whether it's a time of happiness or a time of sadness, we are to seek Jesus and trust Jesus. Our faith is not to fluctuate with our circumstances. If your faith fluctuates with your circumstances, your faith is not authentic. But this man who came to Jesus was a, says he was a royal official, means he was part of King Herod's entourage. And, and he's speaking of Herod of Antipas, who was over Galilee, and he was an evil ruler. He's the one that married his brother's wife and had John the Baptist put to death when he was confronted with that issue. So this official's son was very ill with a fever. He was about to die. And this official had probably heard of Jesus' miracle in Cana as well as the miracles Jesus had performed in Jerusalem. And he came to Jesus knowing he was the only one who could help him. He knew if Jesus could heal others, if Jesus could turn water into wine, he could heal his son. This man believed in the power of Jesus and he knew that his son had a problem that only Jesus could fix. However, what's interesting is if it wasn't for this personal crisis, this man would have probably never come to Jesus. The personal crisis in this man's life drove him to seek Jesus. God used this situation in this man's life, the sickness of his son, to bring him to Christ. You know what, I still believe this happens today God sometimes brings a trial Sometimes brings a crisis or a tragedy Into our lives to turn us to Christ To bring us closer to Him Because without it God knows that we would never turn to Him But in this moment of desperation This royal official goes from Capernaum Which is about 695 feet below sea level And on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee to Cana which is about 700 feet above sea level to find Jesus. To give you some context, I think we have a map. You see Jerusalem, then at the top left, you see Cana, and you see Capernaum. This man traveled from Capernaum to Cana. He went from 690 feet, 5 feet below sea level to almost 700 feet above sea level. And this man, because of his position, he had money. It means he probably rode a horse He probably did not do this on foot Which would have been a two day journey In order to get there as fast as he could He probably rode a horse But what we need to understand Is not even this man's position of power Or this man's wealth Could save the life of his son He knew Jesus was his only hope And no matter who we are No matter our position No matter how much money we have We are all going to have adversity. We're all going to struggle. We're all going to face death. And without God, we are all hopeless. We are all helpless. And our money and our position cannot save us. Only God can. And in verse 47, we see that this man pleaded with Jesus. He said, when this man heard Jesus had come from Judea into Galilee, he went to him and pleaded with him to come down and heal his son, for he was about to... To die. The Greek imperfect verb tense indicates that he re- repeatedly begged Jesus for help. He repeatedly begged Jesus to come and go down to Capernaum and heal his son who was at the point of death. He wanted Jesus to physically go to Capernaum and heal his son. And he was not taking no for an answer as his son's life hung in the balance. This man was persistent. This man was not giving up. And here's a lesson for us. We need to be persistent in coming to to Jesus. We don't ask Jesus for something just once and let it go. We need to continue to ask him. We need to continue to come to Jesus. We don't need to stop praying, and we don't stop praying. When we continually come to Jesus, it shows that's important to us. But look at Jesus' reply in verse 48. Jesus told him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Jesus knew this man was not coming to him because he wanted to follow him. Jesus knew this man was coming to him because he needed help. And Jesus rebuked this man. But not only him, but all the Galileans, he were present. Jesus condemned these Jews for their lack of faith. He understood they only cared about his performance. They didn't care about his person. They didn't care that he was the Messiah. They didn't care that he was the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. You see, they were not interested in spiritual healing. They were only interested in physical healing. Their faith was not in Jesus himself but in his miracles. Their faith was not in who Jesus was but in what he could do. And they desired miracles just like any other believer who would be in their situation. God, I have a problem. Fix it. God, if you are God, do something. Not God, I have sin. Forgive it. You see, the Jews, like many people today, they wanted proof. They wanted to see signs. They were embracing a temporary faith that was simply based on the power of Jesus and not the person of Jesus. But a temporary faith. A faith that is based just on the miracles and power of Jesus is dangerous. Why is it dangerous? Because if you trust in signs, how will you trust when adversity comes? What happens when the sign is passed? Will you continue to trust in Jesus because of who he is? Or did you only trust in him because of what he could do? You see, we can't only trust in the power of Jesus. We have to trust in and be committed to the person of Jesus. Here's the irony of Jesus' response. Jesus performed all kinds of signs and miracles for the Jews. And they still did not believe that he was the Messiah. They still did not not believe that he was the Son of God. Compare that to the faith of the Samaritans that was demonstrated earlier. The Samaritans stayed with Jesus. The Samaritans listened to Jesus. The Samaritans put their faith in Jesus. The Samaritans did not need a sign. And Jesus did not give them a sign. The Samaritans came to Jesus for salvation and not a show. How many people today are interested in Jesus because of what he can do for them? They're not interested in following him. They're not interested in in worshiping him. They're not interested in living a life of obedience to him. They simply want to come to Jesus because they are in a desperate situation and they've tried everything else. They want a personal miracle, not a personal Savior. They want to come to Jesus because of His power and not His person. And as soon as they experience the sign and the miracle from God, they turn away from God. They say, God, if you help me, God, if you do this, and I will believe, I'll worship, I'll follow. God does, and they don't. This is not how Jesus wants us to come to Him. If you come to Jesus this way, your belief will not last because it's not rooted in the person of Christ. Jesus wants us to come to him by trusting him, by placing our faith in him because of who he is. And coming to Jesus should not be an act of desperation. We should never say, I've tried everything else. I guess I'll try Jesus. Jesus Coming to Jesus should be the first thing we do, not the last thing we do. Jesus just doesn't want us to seek him when we need something. He wants us to believe in him and seek him at all times because of who he is and what he came to do on the cross. What if your child only talked to you when they needed something? Most parents would say, I'll take what I can get. But honestly, wouldn't it be much better to hear, Dad or Mom, I don't need anything. I just want to spend time with you because you're such a great parent. I really love you. I really appreciate you. I just thought it was important for me to spend time with you. After you fall off the couch, after you think something is wrong with your child, thinking, what has happened to my child? You see, why, why would we think that? You see, they're coming to you not because of what they can get from you, but because of who you are to them. When your child comes to you that way, they're not coming to you because of what they can get from you. They're coming to you because who you are to them and what you mean to them. And this is what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to come to him and trust him at all times because of who he is and what he means to us. Not just because of what he can do for us. Jesus does just not want us to be curious about him. Jesus wants us to be committed to And if all you are is curious about Jesus, if all you are is interested in the power of Jesus and not the person of Jesus, your sins will never be forgiven. You will never have a relationship with God. And you will not receive eternal life. We must move past the place of being curious about Jesus to the place of being committed to Jesus. And we need to be excited just not about the power of Jesus and what he can do, but about the person of Jesus and who he is. Second thing I want to point out is authentic faith is not a charged experience but a strong conviction. Authentic faith is not a charged experience but a strong conviction. Look at verses 49 and 50. Sir, the official said to him, come down before my boy dies. Go, Jesus told him, your son will live. The man believed what Jesus said to him and departed. The word charged means causing great emotional or mental stimulation. It's having or expressing great depth of feeling. It's the idea of experiencing something that causes great emotion. And in verse 49, we we read that the life of this man's son hangs in the balance. He's at his wit's end. He's having an emotional experience, an emotional breakdown over the condition of his son. And I imagine by this time, he is on his knees with tears streaming down his face, looking to Jesus and, and pleading with him and begging with him, please help me, please heal my son. He is begging Jesus to do something that he knows only Jesus can do. And once again, just like earlier, he thought Jesus had to go down to Capernaum in order to heal his son. This man had a preconceived idea of what Jesus needed to do in order to to resolve this crisis you know what many of us are guilty of what this man did we come to jesus with our problem which is what we should do then we try to tell him how we think he should take care of it instead of trusting him to take care of it you see jesus could have gone to capernaum he could have made the journey to capernaum and healed the boy. Because in other miracles, like the healing of Jairus' daughter in Matthew 9, 18-26, Jairus was a local synagogue official and came to Jesus as he was talking to the woman who had the blood issue for 12 years. And he interrupted Jesus and said, I need you to go and heal my daughter. And Jesus left and he went and physically healed the daughter of Jairus. She was dead and Jesus raised her to life. So there have been instances where Jesus actually went and performed the miracle. But here, instead of physically going to Capernaum, Jesus tests this man's faith. Jesus tests this man's belief in him. Notice what Jesus said to the man. The man said to Jesus, come. Jesus said to the man, go. By telling this man, go, Jesus forced this man to believe him without performing a sign. This man did not see a sign. The only thing this man had to go on were the words of Jesus. This man had a choice. He could doubt the words of Jesus, the one in whom he believed was the only one who could help his son, or to believe in Jesus and do as he said. And in the very moment of this man's life, Jesus tested this man's convictions about who he was. Jesus drew this man into a deeper level of faith as this man had nothing to go on but the words of Jesus. The only thing this man had to go on that his son was healed were these words by Jesus Go, your son lives. This man did exactly what Jesus said. This man didn't stop and ask questions. He didn't ask Jesus, How is this possible? He didn't say to Jesus, Can you please give me a sign so I know my son is healed? There was no complaining. There was no balking. Jesus spoke. He obeyed. He simply left believing. What an example for us. When Jesus speaks to us, we should do just like this man did. We should obey. No complaining. No balking. No questioning. Simply leave believing. And notice Jesus answered this man's desire to heal his son. But Jesus didn't answer his request to come down to his house. This man had to put aside his expectation of how Jesus would work. And he had to take Jesus at his word. This miracle shows us that Jesus can heal from a distance, that Jesus has power over distance and disease. This miracle shows us that the words of Jesus matter. Jesus was nowhere close to this boy. He was about 20 miles away, the difference from Cana to Capernaum. But through only his word, he healed this man's son. For this healing had to take place. Jesus only had to do one thing, and that was speak. This morning, you may need a miracle. This morning, you may be here or watching online, and you may need a miracle of healing. Maybe you need a miracle, of provision in your life or in a friend's life or a family member's life and you need to call on the name of Jesus. And when you come to Jesus with the needs you have, you need to act as if Jesus can take care of your problem and live as though he can do what he says. However, in doing so, you need to lay aside your expectations by not dictating to Jesus how he should provide for your need. Yes, we need to come to Jesus. Yes, we need to trust Jesus. But we shouldn't be in the business of dictating to Jesus how he should meet the need that we have in our lives. As Scripture says, who are we as the creation to tell the Creator what he needs to do? Like this royal official, we need to take Jesus at his word, and we need to let him work in his way. And we need to realize what J.C. Ryle, J.C. Ryle was an evangelical Anglican bishop in England in the 1800s. And he said this. He said, Christ's words are as good as his presence. Christ's words are as good as his presence. And that's exactly what this man experienced. The words of Jesus were just as effective, as important as his presence presence because the words of Jesus matter the words of Jesus have power the words of Jesus can accomplish many many things all Jesus has to do is speak and it happens you see turning to Jesus in faith requires that we understand certain truths about him as our faith is based on the person and work of Jesus we need to understand who Jesus is we need to understand there's power in his name We need to understand there's power in His words. And as Hebrews 12, 2 says, we need to understand that Jesus is the author. He is the perfecter, the finisher of our faith. But unfortunately, many say they've trusted Jesus simply because they've had an emotional experience. There are many who've trusted Jesus and really don't understand who He is or what He's done. This was evident in Jesus' interactions with others in the Gospels. They come to Jesus all excited. They watch him do miracles. And out of their excitement and enthusiasm, they jump on the Jesus train. They're all about Jesus. And if you were to ask them if they were a follower of Jesus, they would say, yeah, I am. What an experience I had. But in doing so, they missed the entire point of the miracle. That Jesus displayed his power and glory to reveal his person and his purpose. A great example of this is the feeding of the 5,000. In John chapter 6, we're going to look at this miracle in a few weeks, but in John 6, 15, it says that they were excited to make Jesus their king. They were on board with Jesus, but for the wrong reasons. They weren't really trusted him. We get to verse 26 of chapter 6. It says they wanted free food. And then in verse 66 of chapter 6, it says, Many turned back and no longer accompanied Why? Because they had an emotional reaction to Jesus. Those who left Jesus demonstrated by their leaving that their faith was not authentic. It was based on the performance of Jesus and not the person of Jesus. If all you do is have an emotional reaction to Christ, then you're going to miss the purpose and person of Christ. I'm not saying we shouldn't be emotional about Jesus. We should get emotional when we think of the sacrifice he made for us. We should get emotional when we think about the suffering that he went through for us. We should get emotional when we think how he's blessed us. What I'm saying is do not let an emotional experience be the basis of your belief in Jesus. I've seen this throughout my years in, in ministry. I've seen many students raise hands or go forward because they got up They got caught up in the emotion of the worship instead of the object of the worship. They have an emotional high at camp and they come back and nothing in their life has changed, but yet they said they gave their life to Christ because they had an emotional experience. They went forward at a camp or at an event. They repeated some words and raised their hands, but there's no evidence of the decision they made in their life. I think about all the evangelism crusades that have happened and there's nothing wrong with evangelism crusades and they are important for sharing the gospel but I wonder how many hundreds and hundreds of people going forward get caught up in the emotion of the event instead of the person of the event I think of seeker sensitive churches which was a big thing several years ago their mission was to bring in the lost which was great that was their primary focus, but everything was geared to the lost. And there were many who made decisions. And, and after some times, many of those who said they received Christ left the church. Why? Because there was no discipleship. There was no understanding of the, the commitment they made. And just a few years ago, a pastor of one of these large seeker assistive churches admitted they made a mistake by focusing on the emotion of the experience and not the person Jesus himself and this is my testimony at age 9 I saw the movie Thief in the Night by the way that's not a movie for children to watch that's the rapture of the church when everybody is gone and those that didn't receive Christ was left behind I watched that on a Sunday night in our church and the moment the invitation was given I was the first one down the aisle why? I didn't want to be left behind i got caught up in the emotion it wasn't about the person of jesus and it took god nine years of eating hold of my heart after that before i realized i trusted in the experience and not the person you see following jesus is not about an emotional experience following jesus is not based on a past religious experience it is a conviction it's a strong belief of who we are a sinner in need of a savior And who Jesus is, the Savior we need. And if all we can do is point to an emotional experience that we had or to a prayer we said, there's been no life change. There's no real commitment. There's no real evidence we are a believer. Our faith may not be real. Because we're not to follow Jesus out of emotion. We're not to follow Jesus out of convenience. We're to follow Jesus out of conviction. And this royal official did exactly that. He followed Jesus, had a strong conviction. His trust in Jesus was more than emotional response. His trust is based on something that is concrete, something that is sure. His faith was, was based on the words of Jesus. This man was not riding an emotional high. He would simply respond to the words that Jesus said to him. And what caused this man's faith? It wasn't a sign it was a miracle it wasn't a miracle it was the words of Jesus I'm reminded of the passage in Romans chapter 10 verse 17 where Paul said faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God Paul didn't say faith comes by an emotional experience Paul didn't say faith comes by some religious experience he said faith comes by hearing hearing what Hearing the words of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ and being convicted of your need for a savior and being convicted of the fact that you're a sinner and Jesus is the only one who can save you. As I mentioned earlier, this is exactly what caused the Samaritans to believe. John four forty one, it says, talking about Samaritans, many more believed because of what he said. When Jesus spent time with the Samaritans on the, during that two days, Jesus didn't perform a lot of signs and a lot of miracles and wonders. They believed simply because of the words of Jesus. You see, authentic faith is not blind faith. Authentic faith is not a leap in the dark where you jump in and hope for the best. Authentic faith is not based on emotion. Authentic faith is based on truth. It's based on God's written word, the Bible, and the living word, Jesus Christ. And if your faith is based on something else other than Scripture and Jesus Christ, you have no faith. Authentic faith is based on God's truth. And it is a strong conviction. It's a strong belief about the person of Jesus Christ. And John has emphasized this throughout his gospel as his desires for those who read his gospel to know and be convicted that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Son of God that Jesus is the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. And knowing this truth, we have the choice of whether or not to trust Jesus and receive eternal life. John three sixteen, Jesus in his encounter with Nicodemus told Nicodemus, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only gotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You see, authentic faith is not grounded in an emotional or charged experience that does not last, but it's grounded in a strong conviction about Jesus Christ that does last. The last thing I want to say is authentic faith is not a one-time decision for Jesus, but it's long-time devotion to Jesus. Authentic faith is not a one-time decision for Jesus, but it's lifelong devotion to Jesus. As his official left, he probably had to spend the night somewhere. And the following day, as he was on his way home, his servants met him with great news. His son was alive. And these servants probably went to find and tell this royal official the great news. And when when they found him, he asked him, he said, what was the exact time that my son got better? They replied, yesterday at the seventh hour. Some translations say 7 a.m., some translations say seventh hour, meaning about 1 p.m. But in in, in regardless, when his servants met this royal official, they told him his fever had left him, that he had fully recovered. And it wasn't a slow process. It happened instantly. And when the man heard the hour at which his son was healed, he knew it was the same hour at which Jesus spoke the words, Your son lives. You see, unlike many people who want proof before they believe, this man believed without proof. He took Jesus at his word. And the word that Jesus spoke to this man was confirmed. And notice in this passage it says this middle land believed two times. First in verse 51 it says he believed. And then in verse 53 it says he believed. Why twice? It's a progression of faith. He first believed that Jesus could heal his son. But now he has faith that Christ can forgive his sin. That Jesus is the son of God. This man's faith grew. This man's faith matured. And John is making the point that those who truly give their lives to Christ, those who have authentic faith will continue to believe in Christ and grow in Christ. You see, authentic faith will reveal itself in the life of a believer. Authentic faith always continues. Authentic faith never stops believing. Authentic faith never gives up. And in Matthew, 17, 7, in Matthew 7, 16, Jesus said that we will be known by our fruit. You see, if you truly gave your life to Christ, it will be evident in how you live your life for Christ. The proof is in the pudding, as the saying goes. Because if you truly give your life to Christ, you'll always follow Christ. There are people who claim to be Christians, that if you ask them how they know they're saved, they point to a past decision. And the key is that that one-time decision for Christ that we make should lead to a lifetime of devotion to Jesus. In other words, believing in Jesus is not something we do one time. We must keep believing. We must keep trusting. We must keep persevering. And true disciples whose faith is real, they continue to grow in their faith, and they become more and more dependent upon Christ. I want you to notice something else. Not only did this man grow and mature as his faith and his dependence upon Jesus, but because this man trusted Jesus, not only was his son physically healed, but get this, his whole family was spiritually healed. It says in verse 53, the father realized this was the very hour at which Jesus had told him, your son will live. And he himself believed a God used the sickness of this boy to give the entire family the opportunity to believe the gospel and put their faith in Christ and as a result of what Jesus did in healing this man's son this man and his entire household believed in Jesus that means his wife his children his servants any grandchildren, anyone who was in the house at this time where this man testified about Jesus, they all came to faith in Christ. Have you ever thought how God may use what you're going through in your life or what someone else may be going through in their life to bring others to him? Never discount what you're going through as God may use your adversity to reveal himself to others and draw them to him. This man's encounter with Jesus not only changed his life, it changed his entire family's life for eternity and for generations to come. And parents like this royal official, you have a great opportunity to impact your family for Christ. And if you want your family to see your faith is authentic, your family needs to see your faith is important to you. And you need to be more committed to Christ than anything else. You see, the impact of a godly father, the impact of a godly mother can't be underestimated. It will influence generations to come. And if you truly have an encounter with Jesus, you're going to be changed by him. You'll desire to follow him. And God will use your changed life to change the life of others. If your faith is authentic, you'll be dedicated to Christ more than anything. You see, it's not enough to say you have an authentic faith. You must show it by continuing to believe in Jesus and always living for Him. For example, if all I do is say I'm devoted to my wife but don't show it, am I a devoted husband, the answer is no. How do I show my devotion to her? By living up to the vow I made when we got married. It's the same in our relationship with God. It's not enough to say we're a devoted follower of Christ. We must show it by living out the commitment we made when we chose to give our life to Jesus. Authentic faith is not a one-time decision for Jesus, but it's lifelong devotion to Him. You see, in His first miracle at Cana, Jesus demonstrated He has the power to turn water into wine. But in the second miracle at Cana, Jesus demonstrated he has the power to heal from a distance by only using words. And the result of both miracles is the same. People believed in Jesus not because of what he can do, but because of who he is. Through this miracle of healing the royal official's son, John gives us insight to authentic faith. Makes it clear authentic faith is more than curiosity about Jesus. Authentic faith is more than emotional experience. Authentic faith is more than a one-time decision. Authentic faith is an actual commitment to and strong conviction about Jesus that leads to a lifelong devotion to Jesus. We can think of authentic faith the way we think of marriage. If someone were to ask me if I were married, I would say yes. If they say how I knew, I probably may mention the wedding ceremony. And their response may be, well, I know a lot of people at a wedding ceremony that aren't married. So how do I know I'm married? Is it the video? Is it the photos? Is it the ring? Is it the marriage license? Those things help. But the real way I know I'm married is because I live out my marriage. I go home to my wife every night. We we do life together. I know I'm married because I live out my marriage. How do you know you have an authentic faith? It's not because of your interest in Jesus or an emotional experience or a moment in your life where you even prayed the sinner's prayer. You know you have authentic faith and others will know you have authentic faith because you live out your faith every day. You have authentic faith when you take your faith with you wherever you go. And the real test of our faith is not calling on God in a crisis the real test of our faith is how we respond to God after he responds to us in our crisis and how does God want us to respond to him the same way this man did, with continued belief maybe you're here this morning and you've never responded to God maybe you're curious about Jesus but never placed your trust in him maybe you were drawn to Jesus because of who he is instead of I mean, what he could do instead of who he is. Maybe at one time in your life you had an emotional experience and and in that moment you prayed the sinner's prayer. But since that time, nothing has really changed in your life because you got caught up in the moment and not in the person of Jesus. You didn't really mean it. Maybe today you need to truly give your life to Christ. Maybe today you need to realize only Jesus can save you, that you can't save yourself just like this man realized he couldn't save his son. Only Jesus could. So today, if you need to give your life to Christ, maybe you never have or you thought you have, but this morning you realize you really didn't, we'd love to share with you how you can come to know Christ. But if you're here and giving your life to Christ, I ask you, is your faith authentic? Is that one-time decision for Jesus that you made resulted in a lifetime of devotion to him? are you living out your faith every day are you taking it with you wherever you go or maybe there's a situation in your life or something you're going through where you've cried out to God you've called on God to intervene and I want to encourage you don't stop calling out to him be persistent do not give up and in your persistent and going to Jesus keep believing in him and trusting maybe today you just want to come and ask God to use you to impact your family for generations to come. We're going to pray and after we pray if there's any decision you need to make for Jesus even the ones I mentioned or maybe God's calling you to be baptized or to join our church or maybe God's calling you to do something else. This altar is going to be open. I'll be down at the front if you want to talk to me or want me to pray with you. But I'm going to ask you to come as God's leads. We're going to pray and then we're going to have our time Let's pray. Father, we just come before you. We just thank you for your word today. Father, we just thank you for these miracles of Jesus. Father, we thank you that only do these miracles show the power of Jesus. God, but these miracles show us the person of Jesus, who he is, and why he came. Father, we thank you that, that the words of Jesus, the name of Jesus has power. Father, I thank you for what we saw today Father, I thank you for giving us a clear picture Of what authentic faith is and what it's not And Father, if there's someone here this morning Who's never received you We pray today they would realize they can't save themselves And realize like this man did That only Jesus can save them Or Father, maybe there's someone here today Or watching online Who at one time had an emotional experience with Jesus But it really didn't change their life or maybe they said the prayer or said the words but it really didn't mean anything to them. Maybe the day they need to come and say I want to really give my life to Christ. Father maybe there are those who've made that one time decision God and they were living for you but things have happened and they've gotten off track. And Father they need to return to you and live that life that you've called them to do. And Father we pray that, that when we commit our lives to you Father we'll be devoted to you and dedicated to you for the rest of our lives. Father, maybe there's moms and dads or grandparents need to come and want to pray for their families today. Lord, maybe they want to pray that they will have an impact on their families for generations to come with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, through this man's life, we can see what the gospel can do and only changed his life and changed the life of the entire family for generations to come. Father, that's the power of Jesus and the power of the Father, whatever decisions need to be made this morning, I pray that you would lead people to make them and we would respond in obedience just like this man responded in obedience to you. God, we love you. Just work in the hearts of people this morning. And it's your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand as we sing, and I encourage.